All right, I was thinking this week, if you were going to build a deck, what would you do to build the deck? <laughs> that was really funny. If you don't know the story, ask afterwards. If you're going to build a deck, there are some things you have to do, right? You have to buy wood or composite wood. You probably need a, a saw and you have to cut. You need a hammer and deck screws and nails and a whole bunch of things. And you need plans and designs and you have to put it all together. And I think sometimes that we think in many areas of life we need to approach it with that level of detail when God didn't make us deck builders, but rather tools in the deck builder's box. If you asked a hammer how to build a deck, a hammer might say, I'm not quite sure. It's really not something I do. I'm just used in the process. I say, what do you mean? He says, well, see, there's wood that shows up, and I watch the saw cut, and I, and I see the screwdriver driving screws, and, and there's a master of all of us who, who uses this perfectly, but I'm a hammer. I just swing and bang and swing and bang and swing and bang, and I'm the best swinging and banging thing in the box, and I let the master use me to swing and bang. Today we're going to talk about steps of success, or I could have called this swing and bang. But as you look through the book of Acts, you get an incredible glimpse of what evangelism really is all about. And sometimes I think that we view evangelism as if we're the, the master or the master builder who's going to put together a whole deck. And we were never made to be master builders. We were made to be tools in the master builder's box. Now, we're not as simple as a, a hammer or a saw. We're used much more intricately. But as we look at this text today, you'll get a two-for-one sermon, you'll see. It really that, that flows throughout all the book of Acts. And if we understand what we are and how we got to be what we are, it will change the way we, we look at life. Last week, we looked at um, Simon the Magician, you remember, and we looked at false face, fal false faith. We looked at self, sign, spirit, and sin, and we saw a guy who was um, believed. In verse 13 of chapter 8 it said, but it wasn't true belief. He was baptized. Uh, little side note there, baptism doesn't really save. It didn't work for Simon. And he even continued with Philip. He followed around, but ultimately this was a man who was never convicted of sin and what that meant. Remember, he had a worldly grief as opposed to a godly grief. And that same man, Philip who was doing signs and wonders and proclaiming the truth uh, that Simon heard, moves on. And he has an interaction with an Ethiopian eunuch that we're going to look at today. Let me read the text, and then we'll go back through it, and take it a couple verses at a time. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise, go toward the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship, and was returning seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over, to his, go over and join his chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet, and asked, do you understand what you're reading? He said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. 
And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does a prophet say this, about himself or someone else? And Philip opened his mouth. And beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. They both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus. And as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. You read that quickly, you take it completely out of context. But this is a, a moment in time in history that was, had been perfectly prepared. We have two, two main characters. We have Philip. You remember Philip? If you go back to Acts 6, you remember, you remember that Stephen guy who was full of the Holy Spirit, who was chosen to help out with the administrative work of the church as it grew? Well, there, was, there were seven of them, and another one of those guys was Philip. And after Stephen's death, the, the Jews scattered, and Philip was part of the scattering, and as he was scattered, he was proclaiming the gospel. He was in Samaria. He got a message to go. So it's not like Philip just boom, showed up on the scene. This is a guy who had come to faith in Christ and who was full of the Holy Spirit. Remember we talked about full of the Holy Spirit meant totally consumed by and guided by, excuse me, the Holy Spirit. It's a man of mature and maturing faith. And there's an Ethiopian eunuch who had been in Jerusalem, who, was a, who, who went to worship God, but yet didn't truly know God and didn't have a right relationship with him yet. But as you'll see in a moment, he is what would technically be called a true seeker. So these guys crossed paths. And as we look at this, I want you to understand that throughout human history, God has always chosen, we talked about this, he's always chosen a people to live in a covenant relationship with, to be his ambassadors or witnesses to the world. God has always chosen a people who represent him, to show the world who he is and what they must do to be right with him. I think sometimes we think of, uh, of Israel as a nation that was chosen for God and everybody else was ignored by God. That's not what Israel was about. Israel was a nation chosen by God to make God known to the other nations. Israel didn't do so well in their walk with the, with the Lord and obedience to the covenants. They are still a unique people to God. But now we have the church today, the people who God has decided to live in covenant relationship with to make himself known to the ends of the earth so people could know who he is, who they are, and be called to repentance, to turn to him and be saved. Well, Philip is the beginning of this, uh, this church process uh, of the going out to the ends of the known earth. Jesus, remember, at the beginning of Acts, commanded them to wait for the Holy Spirit, but told them they'd be his ambassadors, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Well... What we're looking at today is a guy from Ethiopia. And Ethiopia was technically the ends of the known world at the time that this happened. Ethiopia was right below the kingdom of Egypt. And this guy had come from there to Jerusalem and was heading back. Let's start with Philip as we look to these steps of success. Step one, if you want to be a successful evangelist, you're called to be one, so you might as well be successful. It starts with having a tract. I recommend a four-step tract. Philip had one. If you read closely here, the angel of the Lord told Philip to take several gospel tracts with him and go towards the south. No, it didn't. 
starts with obedience. There's nothing wrong with a track, but that's not where the gospel of proclamation begins. It starts with obedience. Look closely at what's going on. The angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go towards the south. The road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza, this is a desert place. Gaza was one of the five major Philistine cities, and there was only one problem with Gaza, the end of this road. You know what it was? One there. Had been destroyed before this. So what you have here is, in fact, what it says, a deserted desert road. Scott says to Philip, hey, Philip, yes, go down that deserted, desert, hot, empty road that leads to nowhere. And it says here, he rose and he went. If God told you to go down a hot, deserted, desert road that led nowhere, honest, please, what would you say? Why? Why? That's a sign of maturity. You're crazy. That would have been my answer. Would you go? Or would you find an excuse why you shouldn't? Go down the hot, deserted, desert road that leads to Gaza that's not even there. God, no. Starts with obedience. Now, God may not tell you to go down the hot, desert, deserted road, but sometimes he'll call you to do some things that you don't think are going to go so well. And what do you say to God? Yes? No? Why? As if he owes us an explanation? Well, see, John, because I'd really like you to do this for me, so could you please go? Well, I'm not sure what's in it for me. All right, fine. I will give you... It starts with obedience. Effective evangelism always begins with obedience. Does God need you to save anybody? Answer? No. Why did he use Philip? It's an interesting um, verse back here in 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy 2. I'll flip there. If you don't believe I'm telling you the truth, you can flip there too. It says, Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use. Set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. Paraphrased, if you walk in obedience to God, he'll use you for his glory. If you don't want to walk in obedience to God, he's going to leave you in the tool bag. You're not going to be highly effective. The first step in successful evangelism is to walk in obedience. Plain and simple. Philip was a man who walked by obedience, and it says, And he rose and went. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. You guys understand all that, right? Right? Everybody knows about Candace. Ethiopian eunuch. Maybe you get that. A eunuch. It's a guy missing something. <clears throat> eunuchs were usually, eunuchs were not usually, eunuchs were men who were in charge of overseeing the king's harem. And kings were wise. So kings unified they're workers of the harem, eunuchified, I should have said. It, it helped them not make mistakes in their, in their obligations to the king. This is literally what happened with eunuchs, with this type of eunuch. If they were good, they could work their way up in rank within the kingdom. Well, this guy apparently was good. And he worked his way up, and he became basically the secretary of the treasury for Candace. Candace, what does that mean? Well, Candace was a title. 
in, in Ethiopia, the queen ran the country. Hear that, you hear that, ladies? The queen ran the country. Do you know why the queen ran the country? You won't like this part, so I can skip it or I can tell you. The kings in Ethiopia were considered sun gods. They were descendants of the sun god. And because they weren't mortal men, they, they couldn't dirty their hands in the administration of the kingdom. So the queens did that. And the queen carried a title, like Pharaoh or Caesar, of Candace. So the queen, the ruler uh, of Ethiopia, had a eunuch who was the secretary of the treasury. And he had been up in Jerusalem worshiping God. How this guy came to know God in the degree he did, and to come up to Jerusalem to worship God, coming from a country of sun god worship, we don't know. But God was clearly working in his life, giving him a, a degree of light, of revelation of the fact that there was a God, and the man had an interest in knowing who God was because God had begun to draw him. The man had, had lived up to the light that was revealed to him. Jeremiah 29.13 is an interesting passage that kind of speaks to what's going on here. I recommend Bible tabs if you're ever in front of people. Jeremiah 29.13. It says here, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. This Ethiopian guy was a seeker. This is a true, you heard the concept seeker-sensitive. If you want to really be seeker-sensitive, you're looking for people like this. They, they have some desire to know who God is. They don't really know him, but God has begun to work in their heart to draw, him, draw them to himself. This was a true seeker. This isn't what we often define nowadays. But God had begun to work in this guy's life, and he had gone up, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. In Jerusalem, what he probably did was stop by Jerusalem Bible Company, and he bought, they had little scrolls all over the store, you know, pretty little wrapped things, and he probably got one of the, the 599 scrolls, and he was taking it home reading it, right? Now stop and think about this. They didn't have Amazon.com. How, how do you get a scroll? They were all handwritten. They were extraordinarily rare and expensive. So this guy clearly put a chunk of cash to acquire a scroll. Why? Well, dude, he was a seeker. But why would he acquire the scroll of Isaiah? Why not Jeremiah? Why not Genesis? Like, why, why Isaiah? We don't know, but you want to see something interesting. Isaiah 56. Look at what it says here. Remember, this is what? An Ethiopian eunuch. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast to my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name. Ain't that pretty cool? This Ethiopian eunuch had a scroll, perhaps of his favorite book, because he could so clearly hear God speak to him where he was. So, he's coming up and back down from Ethiopia. Philip's going down a desert road. And coincidentally, number two, I'm sorry, effective evangelism, walk in obedience. Two, it continues 
with a heart that God is preparing. So what did Philip do with this Ethiopian eunuch to get him ready? Absolutely nothing. You notice that? Philip didn't know the Ethiopian eunuch. The Ethiopian eunuch didn't know Philip. And then I go quote unquote coincidentally because in the realm of a sovereign God, there are no such things as coincidence. Think of the depths, how deep that goes. You flip a coin. Is it really a game of chance? No, not really. You know, God would do pretty well at the casino. He would blow your mind. I'm putting it all on red. How do you know? Because I made it land on red. That's why Jesus doesn't gamble. It wouldn't be fair. No, that's not why he doesn't gamble. But in a, in a coincidence, these two men who didn't know each other, who had been per, 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 perfectly prepared, one walking in obedience to God, one being drawn to God as a seeker, as Philip came down this road, the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. Now, this isn't a Ben-Hur chariot, right? So don't envision one Ethiopian eunuch, you know, I don't know how you stand on these chariots holding the reins with one hand. He's just like, reading Isaiah. This is a wagon. This is a caravan. This is a high official. He's got some people with him. And he's reading. So Philip ran over to him. Now stop. That's dangerous. These are people who worship the sun gods. And Philip ran over. I might have said, well, why are you sure? Is it safe? I saw people die for talking about Jesus. Please, please, please. Why? He doesn't know the guy's a seeker. He doesn't know he has a scroll of Isaiah yet. He just knows there's a, a chariot. And God said, go. And what did Philip say? No. Why? No, he ran, literally, to the chariot. And he got there. And we don't know what happened around him with the other people, but as he got there, he heard this Ethiopian reading out loud Isaiah. Why reading out loud? Because it fits in the story nice. If he was reading himself, it wouldn't work. Back then, people read out loud. It's just how people read. Scrolls were written. Characters were all mashed together. There was no spacing. There was no punctuation. People were taught to read out loud so they could more fully comprehend as they read, and it was just the method of reading. People read out loud. So coincidentally, he came up, and the guy's reading out of Isaiah, and we see the passage that he's reading, and he doesn't know what's going on with it. Now, you and I can read that section of Isaiah, and we know who it's talking about, right? If you don't see me after service, we, it's talking about Jesus. But this was actually a text that was widely disputed. It was written about 800 years before Christ. And people didn't know who exactly it spoke to. And there was disagreement within the Jewish schools of thought of who it spoke to. And this guy was a bit confused. And Philip says, well, I know what you're reading in his head. Do you know what you're reading? And the guy says, I have no idea. Philip approached. Philip paid attention. Philip heard. And Philip responded. Effective evangelism, we walk in obedience. God prepares people's hearts. And then we coincidentally cross paths. And our job as a tool is to approach in obedience and to pay attention. Sometimes we hear it from the things they're saying. Sometimes we hear it from the questions we're asking. But you can pay attention and you will see pretty clearly if you're dealing with a true seeker, a true person that God is working in their life. You'll see this all throughout the book of Acts. And what happens is Philip asks him, do you understand what you're reading? The guy says, I have no idea what it means. How can I? And what does Philip do? He throws 1 Peter 3.15 into action. You know what that passage is? 
Always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that you have. How did he know? Look, it says down here, he, Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus Christ. Wouldn't you love to heard that? How did Philip do that? Broke out the evangel cube, right? He could have. How did he do that? There was no New Testament, so try doing that. Try explaining the good news of Jesus Christ from the Old Testament. It's actually not that hard, but it's a whole lot easier from the New Testament. So Philip started there, and he told him not facts about Jesus, but the good news about Jesus. Ethiopian eunuch, you of the, the realm of sun god worship, far from God, enemy of God, a sinner, separated from God for eternity. Let's keep reading in Isaiah. Let's go back a little bit. It says, turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. So how do you turn to God? How are you saved? And he just continues to walk him through. Here's your two for one here. Ready? Well, actually, I'm going to stop here for a minute. The last step of successful evangelism is proper preparation. How is Philip prepared? It was divine inspiration. He didn't do anything. One day, he just woke up and said, Oh my gosh, the whole Bible's in my head! I got it! I got it all! It's in there! Right? I never read it, but God put it in my head! Thank you! No. This guy hung out with the church. He walked in obedience. He stored up God's word in his heart. He meditated on the scriptures day and night. He lived in a, a life of prayer and relationship with other people and growing obedience to God. And as he did the hard work, he was perfectly prepared by God so that he gave a reason for the hope that he had. What happens after this? The Ethiopian wanted to be baptized. He was walking with all these people who were sun god worshipers. Side note, this might go really bad when you get back to Ethiopia. Uh, Candace, your eunuch is a Christian. He doesn't believe the king is God. That might not go so well. He's got a lot of witnesses on hand for this too. It wasn't like, oh, hey, Philip, shh, these guys, they don't believe in Jesus. Could you throw a little water on my head when no one's looking? Does that count? He said, stop, stop the chariot. Let's go. In front of all of these people, he got in the water. He got baptized out of obedience. And then when Philip left, what did he do? It says he rejoiced. There are two signs of genuine saving faith. Baptism is a bold proclamation that I am with Christ and rejoicing from understanding that I am with Christ. Do you see that? You ever have someone tell you, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. You sound really excited about that. Yeah. You might, you might look a little closer. Because if you don't get a little excited about the fact that you are an enemy of God and you're reconciled, Something might not be right. But this guy was baptized, this guy rejoiced, and then Philip took off, literally. So, how do you build a deck? You don't build a deck. What does a hammer do in a deck? Swings in the hands of the master. Which hammer does the master use? The holy hammer. There's a question a lot of people will often ask me. I chew on, and I'm curious for your thoughts. 
What happens if believers don't share their faith? Do people go to hell if we don't share our faith? Does it really matter if we don't share our faith? You see, we're dabbling in the wrong question, if that's the question we ask. I was reading in Esther this morning. You guys know the story of Esther? Mordecai finds out that uh, Haman's going to kill all the Jews. He tells Esther to go to the king. Esther's a little freaked out. He says, Esther, God's going to deliver his people one way or another. But you and your family, you're going to die if you don't do this. Who knows? Maybe God has you here for just a time as this. You see, what happens if believers don't share our faith? Wrong question. The real question is, why wouldn't a believer share their faith? You see the difference there? It's not what happens if we don't. Why wouldn't you want to? If you are a tool set aside by the Lord for his purposes, you will delight in being swung by the master. You don't say, oh, what happens if I don't want to swing? God got a hammer. But he's invited you to be used in the process. And yes, there are consequences to not being used to other people. But I think the graver consequence may lie with ourselves. See, I want you to remember three things here. Number one, sharing the gospel is a command. Saving others is not. You understand that? Sharing the gospel is a command. Saving others is not. Swing, boom. Swing, boom. Swing, boom. You don't have to worry about the whole deck being built. Just swing and boom. Swing and boom. Swing and boom. Two, there are no coincidental path crossings. Anybody see any cars when you drove here today? You know those are not bit players in your life. Life is not a movie with you as a star and everything else is just a peripheral scenery. You guys know that, right? We don't always live like that. See, when I go to Wegmans, the other people are there to make me feel like Wegmans is a store worth going to, but they don't really have stories. They're not really important because I'm the main character. Those are bit players in the story of my life, just like you all, yeah. No, this is God's story, and we're all bit players. But we're bit players with a significant role. All the relationships we have, all the encounters that we have, are not coincidental. Now, I'm not saying at a stoplight, get out of your car and tap on the guy's window. Do you know the Lord? What? Roll it down! No! Yes, you're dying! No. I'm saying that the people who live next door to you, they don't coincidentally live next door to you. You know what I'm saying? You have the delight of finding out, perhaps, why God has you next door to them. Remember, your job isn't to save them, but it is to seek an opportunity to present the truth to them as God makes that possible. You get to, in fact, find out if the Holy Spirit is working in your neighbor's life. How? Hang around for a few more chapters of Acts. We'll unpack that. Does anyone have a neighbor? They have no idea. If the Holy Spirit's working in their lives, do not show your hands because most of them would go up. Mine's up for... You know, all of us. Why not? Perhaps because we simply forget. Our job is simple. Walk in obedience. Remember, there's no coincidental path crossing. Remember, we have a responsibility of being prepared. Which comes by obedience. You see, I'm not going to sit in my house. And, well, anybody ever get married 
by someone walking up to their door. Renee, is this how it went with you? You were sitting home and, Lord, I pray that you would bring me a husband. And then it was a while later, Renee's like, oh, he's here. Hello, I'm Arnold, and the Lord has sent me to you to be, right? That's how it worked. Dan and Kim, very similar. Dan was, Dan was on the beach, and he prayed this prayer, and Kim just manifested herself. In, right? Wasn't that the story? Well, she was telling me. And then she, she's in Azotus this week, I think. Is that right? God took her to Azotus. The heck am I talking about? I don't know. We have a responsibility to walk in obedience and to be prepared to give a reason for the hope that we have. God doesn't say, I will store up my word in your heart. He says, you store up my word in your heart. God tells us to pray. He tells us to, to live in a relationship with other people. He tells us how to use our time, talent, and treasure. And as we do all of this, we begin to be more fully prepared so that we can be used in the lives of the people we come across to see some crazy stuff happen. Now, I know that there's some crazy stuff happening that we could probably spend a lot of time telling stories about right now. But I also know that we could have a lot more crazy stories going on so that people might come in here and, with a friend and say, this is my friend, fill in the blank. He's an Ethiopian eunuch. He'd be like, stop that. Like, well, he's a friend of mine from Ethiopia. And uh, we were having lunch together, coincidentally. I didn't know him before, but we were sitting at booths across from each other, and we struck up a conversation. And sure enough, he was a man who was curious about who God was, and I'm a man who happens to know who God is, and we got to talking, and here he is. Now, begins with prayer. Philip was a, a man, as you go back, full of the Holy Spirit, dedicated to prayer, consumed with God's word, knew who he was before God, and he walked in obedience to God. God said, go, Philip simply went. Here's a starting place. If we do not want to walk in obedience, we can fake evangelism. We can add stuff on or do it our way and really make it look like we might have a lot of people who, who come to faith. We can make it a lot of fun, but at some point that just burns out. But if we walk in obedience, we're successful right away. Now, who knows what God does because he starts the coincidental crossings. And we have the joy of seeing if the Holy Spirit is at work in a person's life. And as we walk in obedience and have the coincidental crossings and we're prepared to give a reason for the hope that we have, because we're fulfilling our responsibility, then it starts to get a little interesting. Because you start to see God do amazing things. God didn't stop working after the cannon closed. It wasn't like in a AD 170 God disappeared. I got news for you. He's as real as, you, as your nose is in front of you. He hasn't changed one bit. God can't change. He tells us that. And throughout history, people haven't changed much. They, they have gone through this cycle of apostasy at times. You know, God's covenant people go through the book of, of Judges. The majority have, have always turned their back on God, and they've worshipped false gods and thought they had something better until that day they died and met him and found out it was really true. But there were always a, a, a small group who God chose to himself to be his covenant people who understood the joy that came from that. And they walked in obedience and they had a joy that came as a fruit of the Holy Spirit and they began to grow and mature in their faith and the questions they asked changed. Not from why, but why would you even bless me with this opportunity to? Not do I have to, 
that I get to? Not what happens if I don't, but why wouldn't I want to? It's a natural part of the maturing evolution of a Christian. Now my challenge to you, which is also a challenge to myself from this text, is to remember, remember, remember. Sharing isn't the command. Sharing is the command. Saving isn't. You have no responsibility to save anyone. That is a huge burden that comes off of your shoulders when you realize that. Your neighbor's eternal destiny does not rest in your hands. But the message of salvation does. And your job as a royal nation, a holy priesthood, is to carry that message to all who will receive it. How do you know they'll receive it? In your coincidental crossings. Realize God has perfectly positioned everyone in the house in your neighborhood, every co-worker in the next, next office, next room, next cubicle, every, when you sit down, I think about this all the time at Panera, and now I'm going to have to start acting on it more. When I get there early, and there's a person sitting by themselves in a booth, two booths away, they are not a bit player in my life, and that sense that I have, that maybe it might be nice to walk over and engage that person for a moment, maybe I should actually try that. Yeah, it's okay. I'm, sa- I'm saying for me, Renee, yes, pray for me. Renee, we're saved by grace. We're saved by grace through faith and not by works. Talking to that person doesn't make you right with Jesus. You and I know it's because you're right with Jesus you have an ever-increasing desire to talk. I'm talking about for me. If you get there before now, Renee's going to be late to real conversation. I wrote it late. I was praying at home and I, I got lost. But also remember the privilege and the responsibility that we have of being prepared to give a reason for the hope that we have. It's hard work, but it's joyful hard work because it's a hard work that allows us to know who God is more fully and what an awesome and mighty God not only do we serve, but who loves us. I'm going to close with prayer. Then we're going to walk over that way and we're going to partake in something that really is truly incredible. We're going to Partake in communion. It's the uh, New Covenant. It's, it's a New Covenant Passover celebration. That is what gave us the gift of being involved in this work. That is what took us from junk and put us in the Master's toolbox. That is what made us enemies of God who are now children of the Most High God, kids of the King. Think of what that means. The King Most High, the the sovereign ruler, creator, and sustainer of everything through the work of Christ now calls you his own. Not because of what you do, but because of what Christ did. As we participate today and partake in the, in the Lord's Supper, let's think about the, not the onus or the burden on us of having to share our faith. Like, oh, do I really have to? Let's understand the gift entrusted to us as we say, oh, I really get to? It's not about fixing folks. It's not about saving folks. It's about understanding who we were, who we are, and what others can become. Let us have a a bit of the, the joy that this Ethiopian eunuch had. He went on his way rejoicing. He left Ethiopia to Jerusalem. He left Jerusalem back to Ethiopia. And on the way, suddenly... God opened his eyes fully, and he understood who he was, who he had become, 
and what that meant. Let's ask God to, to remind us anew of who we have been made in Christ so we might be a people who rejoice and delight and understand who it is who we pray to and how much he loves us. Father God, I just I thank you for Philip. I thank you for the example of, of a man who was a successful evangelist, as we all can be. It wasn't in the results. He shared the same message. One guy named Simon didn't believe. Another guy, an Ethiopian eunuch, whose name we don't even know, he believed. And in both cases, Philip was equally successful. He glorified you. He walked in obedience. He was able to delight in knowing whose he was. God, I wonder what happened with that Ethiopian eunuch, but I know that you know. What, what was it like? What type of bold and boldness and courage would it take to return to Candace as a man who called on the name of Christ in a nation of people who worshiped the sun God? What is it that you did through this man when he returned God? Was he persecuted? Was he killed for his faith? Or did he lead many to faith? Did he have a long, healthy life? Or did tragedy befall him shortly? We don't know, and the reality is it doesn't matter, Father, because we know where he is today. And I delight in knowing that you used him mightily. The, the men who, who traveled with him in that caravan, how many of them came to faith? The people he knew back home, the interactions he had that he never saw. But I trust, Father, that with the joy he experienced, he knew that he was a holy vessel. He was to be used to swing. He wasn't the master builder. I thank you, God, that your burden is light and your yoke is easy. Thank you for the fact that it is not an impossible task you call us to. It is a task made possible by the fact that we have been born anew. God, this week, might you remind us of, of the gift we've been entrusted with. It's not to be buried under the ground. It's, it's to be cast. It's to be, to be sown about so we might see what type of soil is receiving it. And when we notice a soil prepared by you that has the desire to know you, of a seeking heart, I pray we would walk boldly, prepared fully, and rejoice in what brings you glory. Another lost sheep being brought back home. Father, as we participate today as a church family in, in communion, I pray you would remind us anew of the incredible love that Christ has for us. That while we were still sinners, that blood was shed for us. That body was nailed to the cross. Not because we deserved it, not because you had a tool bag in need of some tools, but the why goes beyond our ability to comprehend. Yet the glimpse you give us of that why is because of your incredible love for us. Unmerited, unearned, undeserved. Thank you, Father, for the fact that while we were unlovely, you made us lovely by your love. And I pray that you would grow us into a people who go out into this world with boldness and courage, knowing whose we are, knowing what we are, and having the love you have for others in us so we might proclaim to them the reason for the hope that we have and tell them the way to turn to you and be saved so they might have that joy of well, as well of knowing who you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You got the music, Madeline? I invite you guys to come forward. Yeah.